This episode of the American Birding Podcast is brought to you by Zeiss Sports Optics, a leading manufacturer of high-quality birding optics and advocates for young birder programs, including the ABA's own Young Birder Camps. I can tell you from experience, you will never regret treating yourself to a great pair of binoculars, and Zeiss offers great quality at a price point that works for you. Plus, you're helping to support amazing experiences for young birders. That is a win-win. For more information, visit your local Zeiss dealer or go online to zeiss.com slash sportsoptics. Hello and welcome to another episode of the American Birding Podcast from the American Birding Association. I am your host, Nate Swick. I want to circle back right off the bat to an issue we spent a fair bit of time on late last year and earlier this year, that being the proposed border wall in the Rio Grande Valley of Texas. So there's been some news I, I have good news and I have bad news. I'll, I'll go ahead and give you the bad news first. If you've been following this issue, you probably already know it, but uh, the Supreme Court has given the administration permission to use money that has already been allocated to the Department of Defense to reallocate that money towards a barrier on the border. I'm not going to lie. That is, that is a setback. Here's the good news, or, you know, relatively speaking. It's not nearly as much as they were asking for earlier this year. So at most, they will not be able to be as ambitious with these walls as the original plan was to be. That is a good thing. Obviously, no wall is the ideal solution. Fewer miles of wall is definitely better than more miles of wall. Second, in the just news category, neither good or bad, probably I mean, a little more good than bad. There are administrative roadblocks to continue to throw up and run out the clock, which honestly is probably our best plan of attack at this point. Certainly in Texas, but also in Arizona, which we haven't talked about nearly as much, but the plan to put a wall across Arizona's last free-flowing river, the San Pedro River, which also happens to be an important part of some of Southeast Arizona's most important and productive birding sites, as you would expect. Any water in the desert is super important, so damming that river is a really, really dumb idea, not just for wildlife, but just generally speaking. But that plan to put that wall there is, um, there is a plan, and it has not gone past that planning stage, so hopefully we will keep it there. And if you're feeling a little bit helpless, there is something you can do. The federal government has requested comments on a section of the border wall in Starr County, which is in the Western Valley. Uh, Birding sites you might know from that part of the state include Roma Cliffs, Salineño, Falcon Dam State Park. The link to give comments is in the show notes. At the time I am recording this, there are only about 400 or so comments, so go give them an earful or an eyeful, I suppose, since they'll at least theoretically be reading them. On the show today, happier stuff for sure. The rest of the show will be taken up with a documentary-style travelogue about a recent trip I had to The Rock. Not the movie star, but the island, Newfoundland, which makes up half the province of Newfoundland and Labrador. But, you know, Dwayne, you want to go birding? Call me. While my traveling companions don't have quite the megastar wattage of the most likable man in Hollywood, Dwayne Johnson, we were rolling with a rock-esque crew featuring Birds of North America host Jason Ward, birding editor Ted Floyd, and the birdist, Nick Lund. 
You will hear from all of them as we reminisce after this week's Rare Birds. This is your Rare Bird Focus for the middle of August 2019. It was a little slow this week, so we'll be pretty short, but there are a handful of noteworthy birds to talk about. Uh, I talked about stint season in the last episode, and it does continue, especially in the West. At least two little stints were seen on St. Paul Island in the Pribiloffs of Western Alaska in the past couple weeks, and another little stint was spotted in San Diego, California, traditionally one of our most stintful states. California also had a redneck stint in Solano County at the same time. This is a great time to look for old world shorebirds if you haven't figured that out. Passer migration is still a few weeks off, so you might as well. We have one first record to report this week in the Northwest Territory, which might be the first time I've mentioned that part of Canada in this place. A black vulture at Fort Resolution represents a first territorial record and another example of birds from the south ending up far, far to the north. Also in that vein, in the last few days, British Columbia's third record of Guadalupe Merlet was seen off of Tofino. This is also Canada's third record of this West Mexican breeding species. And just to make this a special Canada episode all around, Ontario's second record of common ringed plover was photographed at the very unsure birdie Algonquin Provincial Park. It's very convenient for so many notable records to turn up in Canada in what is essentially an episode that is about a trip to Canada, so well done Canada birders. This is just a short foray into the rare bird reports of the last couple weeks. For all the rarities you can handle, go to the ABA blog, blog.aba.org, every Friday morning. You can also check out the ABA's Rare Bird Alert Facebook group. That's facebook.com slash groups slash ABA Rare, or follow us on Twitter at ABA Bird Alert. There are quite a few things I didn't know about Newfoundland before I traveled there last month with a crew of exceptional and influential birders. First of all, it's pronounced Newfoundland, like understand. Not Newfoundland or Newfoundland, though you might be able to get away with that last one. Second, the Newfoundland time is one and one half hours ahead of Eastern time. Not one hour, not two hours, but one and one half I don't know why this is, but it's quirky and I like it. Third, the Newfoundland dialect is this interesting combination of typical Eastern Canada and an Irish brogue. It's really interesting to listen to and very endearing. And lastly, there are a lot of birds there. And sure, like I sort of knew that. Newfoundland is on the radar of ABA area birders, largely for the same reason why we keep our eyes on Western Alaska or South Texas and Florida and California and Arizona. It's one of the corners of the ABA area, the closest spot to Europe, and the first point of landfall of many potential you know, European vagrants. And, and Newfoundland's track record is unsurprisingly remarkable in that regard. But it's not this far-flung outpost like the Bering Sea Islands. It's, it's a lot closer than you think, and it's, it's not just a way station for tired lapwings and gray herons and field fairs. There's a seabird spectacle there that is like nothing else in North America, but we really didn't know that yet. We were pretty well going in fresh. Here's Jason Ward, who you probably remember from this podcast. He's also the host of Topics, Birds of North America. I had no preconceived notions going into and I wasn't sure what to expect when I got there. Um, but, you know, traveling is relatively new to me. 
So it's fun getting to explore places that I've, you know, never been to before, never even thought was on my radar before. So I was more so just looking forward to experiencing it without any preconceived notions. Like you can just go on Instagram, type in hashtag Newfoundland and find people who live there and basically get a, a get the drop on what Newfoundland is going to be like prior to going there. I kind of just wanted to disassociate myself from all of that and just be surprised when I arrived. Here's birding editor Ted Floyd. Uh, Jason made a point that really, really resonates with me too. He talked about the uh, sort of the thrill and the delight of just you know arriving in a new place with no preconceived notions about it. I, I, I love doing that. And to me, something that I've actually kind of a sort of a regret about being alive in the digital age is that you get to know so much beforehand about what you're stepping into. And I actually like travel in the old days when I didn't even know if the dude at the airport would pick me up or anything like that. So yeah, I, I went there with few preconceived notions, um, maybe with a bit more travel experience under my belt. Uh, and again, with this expectation of some uh, European influences, both human and avian. And the last member of our group, Nick Lund, you may know him as the birdist. I, I, I'm going to go ahead and say I, I didn't have much of a perception. I, I didn't really have a fully formed idea of what Newfoundland was was going to be. In growing up in Maine, I sort of assume everything up there is is maritimey and uh, less populated and maybe, you know, um, more scenic version of Maine. But I didn't really know what Newfoundland was. It, I, I thought of it being a little more, a little wilder, um, a, a little more remote. Um, I knew, of course, there were outstanding birds out there. And I have always sort of um, gazed into field guides and, and seen um, strange ranges that come into Newfoundland and, and sort of, um, you know, it's a land of ptarmigan and caribou and 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 it's not very far from here, but it feels very far in my mind. But I didn't quite have a picture of what the landscape would be um, in my mind. And so I kind of went in just being like, let's let's see what you got. Let's see what's going on. I think the biggest misconception people have about Newfoundland is, uh, well, probably two. One, that it's really difficult to get here. That was our host for this trip, lifelong Newfoundlander and bird guide Jared Clark. I can't imagine there being a person that knows the island better than he does. And a lot of people who aren't familiar with with Newfoundland, and especially um, people from other parts of the United States rather than Canada, who probably have more familiarity, people don't realize that St. John's is is a full on city when, when you're coming to visit. And we have everything, and you're not going to some to some sort of Arctic outpost. And I think a lot of people sort of have that misconception that Newfoundland um, is like that. And, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of things to do and see in Newfoundland in with a lot of uh, of comfort and all the all the sort of creature comforts that you would expect birding anywhere else in North America. Like my companions, I didn't really know what to expect either. It's kind of a weird characteristic of these sorts of trips that they are very much unlike the sort of birding trip you take yourself, which involves often a lot of planning and lots of studying. Yes, there is a promotional aspect to this thing. And full disclosure, we were there as guests of Destination St. John's, which is the Tourism Bureau for St. John's, Newfoundland. And I'll just go ahead and thank them right now for facilitating all of this. But one of the things that amazed a lot of us right off the bat was that all of these extraordinary natural history opportunities we were slated to experience were all 
very close to the city of St. John's. We didn't even leave the Avalon Peninsula, which is this funky H-shaped protrusion off the southeast corner of this actually very large island. We piled into the van and I was sort of getting settled and getting ready for a nice long trip out to, to wherever. And, uh, you know, we were we were done uh, before I could buckle my seatbelt, basically. Uh, and we were out looking at morning warblers and we were right in the thick of boreal habitat. The contrast between being in St. John's, which is a bustling city on weekend nights, right? So we're walking through the downtown area and there are tons of people out and about. And then you hop in a sprinter and you drive for about 45 minutes and you're in this world that seems like it's in the Jurassic time. That contrast from being in a pretty decent, normal-sized city and then driving in one direction and then just being catapulted into the wild. Yeah, I think that's one of the one of the sort of the highlights of birding in Newfoundland is how um, the relative ease it is to to get to and see a lot of these incredible spectacles and how accessible a lot of them are. I mean, not only are our seabird colonies absolutely spectacular and some of the largest on the continent, they're also the most accessible. The North America's largest puffin colony is just an hour south of downtown St. John's, less than an hour, um, and the Gannett Colony at Cape St. Mary's, you walk right up to it with a relatively short, less than a mile hike over some beautiful terrain. We were seeing fin whales and puffins and, and shearwaters, you know, 15 minutes outside of downtown St. John's. So some incredible birding, you know, that's that's relatively easy to get to right from St. John's. So I'll have to do a little bit of a sort of West Coast, East Coast here. I've certainly over the years become sort of a, a a West Coast partisan when it comes to the pelagic birding experience. You know, you've probably heard me say before that, you know, just hop in the boat in Monterey Bay and just within an hour or two or less than that, really, you're just within sight of, you know, thousands and thousands of seabirds. And I've often contrasted that with pelagic trips out of, you know, New York or New Jersey, where it takes half a day at least to get out to your first tube noses. And I'm not going to sing that song anymore because I'd have to say that the trips out of St. John's are every bit as worthy as the trips out of, you know, Fort Bragg or Monterey Bay or or, uh, the Channel Islands or somewhere like that. You're seeing those birds immediately and in really good numbers. The, uh, the uh, the alcids, so the you know, the puffins and the murs are and the uh, guillemots are spectacular. But you know we didn't have to go any distance at all to encounter really snazzy birds like uh, great shearwater, and um, you know, that's that's a pretty awesome tube nose. And we actually would eventually see them from the shore and get amazing looks of them uh, from the boat. They were they were everywhere. We we saw so many shearwaters that we saw ones that we didn't even know. We had to identify them in our photographs later. I'm an East Coaster, and I love going on pelagics on the East Coast. And to see all those birds so easily uh, was a real treat. Um, And to have all those shearwaters, uh, sooty, great, manx, um, all those alcids, all those kittiwakes, um, all in in one tight package was really incredible. Yeah. I mean, first, I was so glad that I didn't get seasick. Um, That that was, first and foremost, for me, it it is— validation that I've made it and I'm now uh, a, a pelagic uh, veteran now. So I'm glad to be in the club. Um, but I mean, nothing can really prepare you for being about, what, 50 to 75 feet from these sheer cliff faces, just full of all of these seabirds. Um, there's no experience like it. And like we were noticing, 
we were we were there and we were wondering if a eagle or something had flown over because out of nowhere all of these seabirds start flying off the rocks and leaving the colony. So you're watching all these birds take to the seas. And then when you turn back to the rock, it's as if nothing ever left because there's still so many birds that are still just present on the rock there. I mean, it's, it's, it's really like sensory overload. So being from Maine, puffin cruises are, are, you know, a point of pride. And so, you know, Maine is famous for come on and see the puffins. Um, you know, it can be a tough trip. If you're coming to Portland, it's a bit of a trek. And, and please, I am in no way slandering my beloved home state. But, uh, you know, it takes a little effort to see puffins. Um, it does not take much of an effort to see puffins in Newfoundland. Um, uh, Newfoundland, um, I apologize. We were uh, out of Whitless Bay in, in there, there were still puffins when you could see shore. Um, which was not something I was used to. You know, we, we sort of rounded that point and there were already puffins flying all around us. Um, we headed out and saw a bunch of whales right off the shore. And I will say in general, one of the things that struck me most about Newfoundland was, was um, the, the mammal watching, marine mammal watching. Um, there were whales everywhere, absolutely everywhere. And, you know, I think before this trip, I had seen whales from shore maybe once, maybe a, a glimpse at one in Maine, and then maybe uh, in Point Reyes I had seen a whale. Um, we saw four species, multiple species of whale from shore multiple times. Um, these were giant humpbacks and uh, minkies and all kinds of stuff. Um, that It was just incredible. And so, so Whitless Bay, you know, we, we headed offshore and immediately were with, um, surrounded by a couple humpbacks. And then, you know, took a, took a right turn and uh, headed over to, to the island. And we were there, um, you know, in, in 20 minutes or so. The, the ease of seeing incredible seabird spectacles uh, is really what sort of defined Newfoundland for me for much of the trip. And there's nowhere where that seabird spectacle was more evident than Cape St. Mary's. If you're imagining the Avalon Peninsula as that H I mentioned earlier, uh, with St. John's on the right leg just above the middle, Cape St. Mary's is at the very bottom tip of the left leg. It's about two hours away from St. John's through rolling hills and mist-shrouded moors. It's also the third largest northern gannet colony in the world, and the only one that's easily accessible. It is one of the most dramatic nature experiences I've ever been a part of. You know, I didn't. We didn't know where we were going. Um, it's foggy, so Newfoundland, uh, especially the Avalon, I think, is sort of famous for its fog moving in and out. And it was sort of, sort of another character uh, or another participant on the trip, where sometimes it would be there and then it would disappear and, and return. Fog is is you know, as a lot of people may know, Cape St. Mary's is one of the foggiest places in the world, and fog is really just it's a part of the landscape. I, I got out of the van last. So I get out of the van and I turn and I can barely see you all because you all are maybe what, 35, 40 feet in front of me. But the fog is so dense that I couldn't see where we were going initially. So and everything is so, it's so dramatic. Uh, we basically had no context for where we were. Are we on the coast? Are we who knows where we are? Um, couldn't see the visitor center right down the path from us. Uh, so we, we start walking, we, uh, walk down this path, not again, knowing, you know, what the landscape is around us. And you can sort of start to hear some squawking and, and, uh, and seabird noises. Finally start approaching 
the the colony you can of, of course you can hear it before you see it true i actually think i smelled it before uh, i heard or saw it and and you know it's you know, it's a pleasant smell i get that we're smelling guano but there's just something about smell that's very evocative and and very powerful the uh the sound was uh overwhelming in fact my uh, recording equipment couldn't handle the sound i had to turn the uh, the input levels down it was so loud <laughs> out there uh, you could even feel it uh sometimes when the the, the closest uh, gannets would sort of uh, whirl by you could uh you could hear the whoosh of the, the wind and this may be a partially sort of a psychological effect but i could swear you could sort of hear the uh, the wind tickling me and i entertained this fantasy that like if all the gannets got up at once you know the, the ground would shake under our feet it's it's you can't pick what you're going to look at, right? Are you gonna watch the birds that are swooping by 10 feet above your head? Are you gonna watch the interactions on the rocks between birds that are landing and taking off? Gannets and kittiwakes and and murs and everything just squawking and swirling around you. I have never seen anything like that. I've never seen anything like that. And was blown away um you, you know and those birds are, are all ones that i'm conditioned to be very excited when i see you know in in maine when you're out on a flagic and a kittiwake flies by it's a, it's a big deal and you you know sort of high five each other um to be surrounded by kittiwakes to be surrounded by gannets just a dozen feet away to be so high up and having everything swirl around below you and be coming in off the sea and, and landing on the cliffs and fighting each other on the cliffs and swirling around. I could have been there for days. I could have just sat there for days. Then once the fog lifted, oh, come on, this, this, that's peak. That's what I like to call peak birding right there. We just see these little specks of blue starting to, to creep through. And then fairly quickly, the whole, all the fog lifted and this incredible landscape was revealed to us where all of a sudden we're sitting here on the edge of a massive cliff looking down over us another set of gigantic cliffs with the waves crashing way below us and thousands more seabirds are revealed thousands of of murs and gannets and things coming in off the ocean and on the water is sitting hundreds and hundreds of razorbills and alcids and murs and there's puffins flying around and it was just amazing. I, and I, that was actually, I think, my favorite part. I, I'll absolutely never forget it. And uh, to arrive in the fog and have that mystical walk out across the, the barrens and along the tops of the edges of the cliffs and then have this magnificent gannet colony just sort of appear out of the mist is, is really a mystical experience. But then, of course, it, it cleared for us. We, the fog lifted as we were walking back and we got to enjoy the, the stunning scenery that accompanies this, uh, this incredible seabird colony. So it's really one of my favorite days is to uh, arrive there in the fog and leave in the sunshine. I think humans often uh, create this false dichotomy between quantity and quality. And I have to say that uh, at St. John's and elsewhere uh, in Newfoundland, that the, uh, those two ideas of quantity and quality come together. The, uh, the incredible quality of the experience just has to do with the amazing quantity of really cool birds and, and other animals and, and plants that you see. Birders are satisfied when they see a, a single individual of a species. You know, we're geared that way. We want to see the species, which could be one bird. It's easy to forget how important it is and how impressive it is and how sort of fundamental it is to see part of the spectacles, to see not just one individual of the bird, but to see them on their breeding grounds, um, to see a part of their life that takes effort to see. 
Um, you know, I think for, for gannets, I'd seen plenty of gannets. And frankly, I, you know, didn't, wasn't super high on my list with all the other things I want to see of going to a, a gannet colony. Just, I, I didn't know, didn't know that I wanted to see it. Yeah, after having gone to Newfoundland and, and seen the gannet colony at Cape St. Mary, I, I, I will never forget it. And I was incredibly impressed at um, just this glimpse into the species that I, that I didn't know I needed. It's something that I don't think I could anyone can really grow tired of. People have to experience this and it's not far. I've been at this for long enough that nothing, at least in the bird realm, was particularly new to me just in terms of sort of a species by species analysis, but just the experience of seeing those birds so close and in such just staggering abundance was a a qualitatively very, very different experience for me. Um, Just to back up, I want to say that um, Somebody newer to birding would see uh, life birds aplenty. There are a lot of sort of ABA area specialty birds to, to be seen at, at St. John's. For sort of a, uh, a more seasoned ABA or like like myself, um, it, the experience was just it was really novel. Uh, seeing birds in a different context in in a much more sort of staggering abundance and uh, in what was for me a new land, new experiences, new scenery really uh, made it the trip of a lifetime. There's so much more to share about this trip that I could probably fill a whole other episode about it. The morning warbler feeding chicks that first morning, the willow ptarmigan family that just crossed the road in front of us after we'd spent the better part of the afternoon walking around the tundra looking for them. The caribou sighting, I don't I don't even think that was on anyone's radar. The lunch at Fairyland Lighthouse, which is this long walk out to a lighthouse on a peninsula where we had whales and alcids and just thousands of puffins pass by over the course of an afternoon. All amazing things. Um, But I'm going to leave you with one last memory the morning we left. Signal Hill rises high above the town of St. John's. It's capped by Cabot Tower, this Victorian-era fortification that looks out over the mouth of St. John's Harbor. It never saw a battle, and it's now a popular tourist attraction and provides a, a really nice view of the city on one side and Cape Spear and the Atlantic Ocean on the other. It's a funny characteristic of trips like this, and in many birding trips in general, that there's not much of a cultural aspect to them. They're often very short, compact. You want to get as much nature watching crammed into it as possible. So anything where birds are not a priority is oftentimes the first thing cut out. It's understandable for us, I suppose. We had a few minutes to spare to see this on the way out to the airport. So we we pulled into a parking spot, stepped out, and immediately we were looking at whales. I don't remember who spotted them first, but there were several. So it wasn't especially a difficult pull. Both humpback and minky, and there were shearwaters passing by, mostly sooty. And of course, all the alcids, which are like constantly there. This was 30 seconds after stepping out of the van with the city of St. John's behind us. So some folks came by, tourists and Newfoundlanders alike, and we all watched these whales kind of cruising around below us for 10 minutes before the airport called and we were on our way. Sort of an appropriate and understated goodbye to this amazing place. I want to thank Destination St. John's for inviting us on this ride to Jason, Nick, and Ted for being great traveling companions. They are all exactly as personable and knowledgeable and fun in the field as their online personas suggest. And to Jared Clark of Bird the Rock Tours 
for showing us around. He is a blast to go birding with. If you are up that way, he is definitely the guy you want. So I hope you enjoyed this little taste of Newfoundland and you find yourself up there soon to explore it for yourself. The American Birding Podcast is brought to you by the American Birding Association. We are a membership organization, and the best way to support this podcast and all the resources that the ABA is happy to provide the birding community in the U.S. and Canada is to join the ABA. We would certainly appreciate it if you did. You can get more information about joining the ABA at aba.org slash join, or check out our e-memberships at aba.org slash e-member. I want to make a special shout out to Isaiah McCourt of St. Paul, Minnesota, Franklin Stetler of Lander, Wyoming, Jeffrey and Carol Soul of Frankfort, Kentucky, and Guy and Susan Babineau of Earliesville, Virginia, all of whom recently joined or rejoined the ABA and noted this podcast as one of the reasons for doing so. Thank you so much for making me look good and welcome or welcome back to the ABA. If you're feeling especially motivated to help out, you can go to Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast dispensary you use. Leave us a rating or review. Those reviews help make this show better, and they definitely help other people find us. Thanks for that. And be sure to tell your friends if you enjoy this podcast. Word of mouth is a great way to get the word out. Executive producer of the podcast and president of the ABA is Jeffrey Gordon. This, the rock meaning Newfoundland and the rock meaning Dwayne Johnson thing is pretty interesting. He, he thinks we need more celebrities with birding location nicknames. Can we make Merrill the Valley Streep a thing? Technical production is by John Lowry. He was, he was watching the last Star Wars movie and noted how he was a big fan of the work of Benicio the Magic Hedge del Toro. Additional help comes from Greg Neese and David Hartley, who point out that the whole nickname thing really works better if it rhymes, which is why they're angling for Nicole Saxim Kidman. You also sometimes have to mispronounce the actor's name. You can find us online at aba.org, on Facebook at facebook.com slash birders, and on Twitter at ABA. We love birding movies, and we're very excited about the proposed, not really proposed, retelling of the 2016 big, big year chase starring Anne Cape May Hathaway as Laura Keene. Questions and comments can come to me at podcast at aba.org. I'm Nate Swick. Thanks for listening. Till next time.